Now, the genealogy that's from basically from verse 6 through verse 72 of this chapter is the same genealogy that you could find in Ezra chapter 2. It's important to know that because when Nehemiah talks about this, when he kind of re-records this genealogy, he's not giving us new information. There's a few minor variations that are probably could be copyist errors or they could be the fact that uh, other people had grown. The numbers don't add up. If you want to go through and add all the numbers, they don't add up to the final totals, totals and there's different theories on why that might be. But what he's doing is he's wanting to, to, to get us to see, he's wanting to get the reader to see that, that, that there are people here in Jerusalem. There's a need for people here. In fact, it's important for us to recognize when we see genealogies in Scripture, it's not just about counting people, it's about God saying that people count, <laughs> that they matter, that God uses people. He wants to use people. And so really, this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to kind of use parts of this genealogy. I'm not even going to try to read the thing. Don't worry. <laughs> You've seen what I've done in the past, hacking the names to pieces. But I want to look at certain sections of this to kind of get an idea of who are the people that God uses. Thinking of this overall theme that we see in Nehemiah, which is theme of restoration. We see God, as you know, called Nehemiah there to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. He had sent maybe 60 to 100 years before Zerubbabel and Ezra, and they had rebuilt the temple. They had reestablished some of the, the community that was there, but they didn't have the walls built, and so that, that, that community in Jerusalem was really insecure. It was really in a place of danger. And so there's a reality that God, when God calls Nehemiah, he's calling him to finish up what was started there in, in fulfilling his promise to bring his people back from captivity in Babylon into Jerusalem. And where we pick it up in this genealogy, as we saw last week with Neil, is that, that the wall's been completed. They finished the wall in 52 days, record time, they finished the wall. They finished the wall, they hung the doors and the gates. The, Jerusalem was now secure. In fact, the way he says it in verse 4 is this. He says, now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not rebuilt. It was large, it was spacious, and at this point it was secure because the walls were built. But the problem was it was half empty. They hadn't built the homes. They hadn't finished what was needed to make sure the people could actually dwell in Jerusalem. They could be there and live as God wanted his covenant people to live. Now this is important. It's important because we see, see in here kind of a principle. That God's not just interested in getting that city rebuilt, getting the walls rebuilt. He's not just wanting this to be a nice place where religious pilgrims can come and visit. He doesn't, he's not looking for visitors. He's looking for residents. He's looking for people who will say, I will be planted right here. In fact, this brings up the first thing I want you guys to recognize about the people that God uses in restoration. God uses those people who are actually available. Sometimes we think, okay, what God really wants is the talented people. He's looking for ability. No, he's not. He's looking for availability. Who's going to say, here I am, Lord, send me? Who's going to say, here I am, Lord, use me? Here's, who's going to say, here I am, Lord, I'm yours? I want to read to you uh, my heretical version of John chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. So this is me translating John 15 uh, in a heretical way on purpose. This would be Jesus speaking, though it's not because it's heresy. If you visit me and my words are heard by you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you enjoy church service, so you'll be my disciples. Now that's bogus. But if we're honest, that's often what identifies what our discipleship looks like. What did Jesus actually say in John 15, 7, 8? He says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. That you bear much fruit, so you shall be my disciples. God's not looking for people who are going to visit church. He's looking for people who will be the church, who will say, Lord, we don't want to just show up occasionally, hear what you have to say. That was nice, Lord. See you later. We want to abide in you. We want to know you. We want to be connected to you. And so Jerusalem has this need. Cities being rebuilt, but the people are few. They need to populate that city. So what happens? Verse 5. Then God put into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people that they may, might, might be registered uh, by genealogy. Now, we'll talk about the genealogy bit in a bit in a minute, but I want you to, to notice something here about Nehemiah. We've seen this all throughout the book, haven't we? Nehemiah prays when there's a need. And here we have Nehemiah hearing from God when there's a need for direction. And this is important because what God wants, if he's going to use those who are available, God's looking for leaders who will listen to him. Who will say, God, what do you want me to do? Not, God, what does the community want me to do? Or, what's the trend right now? God, what do you want me to do? How would you have me lead your people? And I love this because Nehemiah is a great example to me. In fact, I was really challenged and convicted by this because what Nehemiah is doing is he's leading from his submission to God. Lord, I'm here. What would you have me do? I'm available to you, Lord. What would you have me do? And that's how God gave him direction. That's how God steered him. I was really convicted by this because I have a tendency to kind of like things to be organized and orderly, and when they're in the right place, I feel good, I feel comfortable, and it's easy for me not to say, God, what would you have me do? But I got this. So dangerous, so unhelpful. But Nehemiah, better example than I am, he led from that submission. And I love what he's doing here. Basically, what God puts on his heart is to get the nobles, the rulers, basically the leaders, to set an example for the people of being ready to participate in what's going on. He's calling, this is part of him listening to God, he's calling leaders to lead by example. That's what he's calling. See, this is what we do at Servants. This is one of the things that we, we desire to do. We desire not to see who's got the gifts, who's got the talents, you know, who, 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 but no, who's following Jesus? Who's setting an example? We go, man, I want to I be like that guy. I, I, I want to be holy like that woman. This is what Nehemiah is looking for, what he's calling these guys to be. But notice as well, when in, in, in the registration, in this genealogy that he finds, he, he quotes, the kind of the, or we quoted the first line in verse 6. He, he finds in it that this is a list of not the people that were presently in Jerusalem necessarily, this is a 100 to 60-year-old list of people who had been in captivity in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar that were the first generation to come back into Jerusalem. So these are people who had recently been, when, when this was originally written, 100 years before this time, they had recently been in captivity, and now they were back in Jerusalem. And Ezra, when he wrote this original document that Nehemiah finds, 
It's wanting to say, okay, we know who you are now, and we know what you've just been through. You've just been that generation who grew up in Babylon, who were, you might say, enslaved to the world. Now, I, I want to use this, I want to see this as an application to, again, who God uses, and about the fact that God uses those who are available. God uses those who return to him. They return to him. Now, it's interesting to me because sometimes we, we can feel like, okay, I've messed up, I've really blown it, and because I've really blown it, I'm now disqualified, God can't use me, so I'll just sulk, and I'll just feel sorry for myself, and I'll just kind of maybe beat myself up a little bit, and expect to feel distant from God, maybe I'll even pull away from God's people, and I'll do all this because there's no way God can really use me. But you know what that is? It's a complete and utter misunderstanding of the gospel. Do you know when the Apostle Paul was preaching to the Ephesian elders and he was wanting them to, to be ready for the work that they had to do? He was wanting them to, to be good elders and to, to, to be the leaders they needed to be in the church in Ephesus. And he's, when he's summing up his own ministry, here's, listen, here's how he sums up the message that he told all people all the time. Everything he preached, everything he taught got summed up into these two verses. Listen to this. It's Acts chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. Paul says to the Ephesian elders, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jew and Greek, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, listen, Paul says, my message can be summed up in this. You need to practice repentant faith. You know what repentant faith is? It's faith that constantly, daily, moment by moment, turns away from the things that I really want to do and says, no God, I want you more. I'm turning to you. I'm turning away from my sin and saying, I want you more. Guys, listen. This is not something that we just do sort of to enter into the kingdom. This is not just kind of the first step to be a Christian. Oh, I repented of my past deeds and I believed in Jesus and I'll try to do better from now on. No, this is something that we have to do on a daily basis. None of us, listen, none of us love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our might, our mind, none of us love our neighbor actually as much as we love ourselves. None of us. We all fall short of that. Does that mean we should just go, well, no big deal? No, it means that when God shows us, here's where you're not loving me, here's where you're not loving others, that we turn because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, because of the good news of what Jesus has done, who he is, we turn back to God and say, God, forgive me. I know that Christ died for that. I want to be washed from that, and I want to walk with you. You know what this means? It means God still wants to use you even if you had a horrible week. You know how I know that? I had a horrible week. I, I was telling Pip this morning, at 8 o'clock this morning, I had no idea what I was going to preach. And I, it wasn't because I didn't study. I spent the, the normal amount of time that I did preparing a sermon. I was just reading this going, I have no idea what to do with this. Lord, I just don't feel ready. What am I supposed to do? I got up at 4.30. So I can think, okay, God will give me the message, I'm sure. And at 8 o'clock, I'm still going, ah, I don't know what to do. I can't have any more caffeine. That's not going to help. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Lord, I feel so weak. I feel so unspiritual. I feel so unworthy to stand before your people and say, here's what you say. What do I do? And the Lord said, preach that. <laughs> 
And I realized this is exactly what's going on with these people. These people that are being referred to are people who lived in captivity. They were sent there in a punishment from God. And what happened? God says, I promise to bring you back. And as soon as they come back, what does God do? Let's list who you are and let's get busy in rebuilding the kingdom and rebuilding Jerusalem. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, listen. You might be here this morning and be going, you know what, John? Okay, so you didn't feel so spiritual. You have no idea the kind of rubbish I've been involved in this week. You're right, I don't. I don't know. But you know what? God knows. And because God knows, you can come before that God and say, God, I need your forgiveness again. I want to turn back to you. I want to return to you knowing that I can only find forgiveness in Jesus, knowing I can only find restoration in Jesus, knowing that there's no other place for a fresh start but in Jesus. And you know what? You receive that. You know why God cleanses you and forgives you? One, because he loves you. And two, because he wants to use you. You don't have to wait till next week. God wants to cleanse you today. He wants to bring you back into a right standing with him so he could use you today. Do that now. Say, God, I, I want to confess what I've not done that I should have done. I want to confess what I have done that I shouldn't have done. And I want to receive a fresh forgiveness. I want to return to you because you use returners. You use those that turn back to you. Now I want you to drop down all the way down to verse 61. Yes, I'm not going to read the names. As I said, all this list, except for a few minor variations, is in Ezra chapter 2. In verse 61, this is, again, still in that same list. But it's interesting, this, who's brought up here? And it's interesting to read this, considering what's about to happen in chapter 8. It says, and there were those, uh, there were the ones who came up from Tel Mela, Tel Harsha, Cherub, Adon and Imar. But they could not identify their father's house nor their lineage, sorry, whether they were of Israel, the sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nekodot, uh, Nek, whatever his name is, 642, and the priests and the sons of Habiah, the sons of Kaz, the sons of uh, Barzilla, not to be confused with Godzilla who took a wife of the daughters of Barzilla, the Gileadite, and was called by their names. These sought their listings among those who were registered by genealogy, but it was not found. So you have a group of people here listed who were part of the original people that came back, right? But we, they don't know. They want to be, where they are is they're in a situation where they want to be identified with Israel. They want to be identified with God's covenant people, but they cannot substantiate that connection. They have no way to sort of say that they're of Israel. Now, you need to understand something. This is a very important biblical principle. And that is that our identity, as far as the scripture is concerned, identity is always established by relationship. I know that we live in an age where uh, the in vogue thing is to say, I decide who I am. I decide my own identity. Now, that might be in vogue. That might even be things that people think is, is, are good. But according to Scripture, our identity, listen, is established by relationship. Literally, who we're related to. That's where identity comes from. 
Now, these people wanted to be involved uh, or identified with Israel. They're wanting to be involved. They want to be identified as what the Scripture calls sons of Abraham, those who have a faith in, in God of Abraham and his descendants, Isaac and Jacob. And this comes all the way back from Genesis chapter 12. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 12, what's called the Abrahamic Covenant. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, away from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And here's what he says. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God makes this covenant with Abram, and if you remember, Abram is married to Sarai. Sarai and Abram have no children. They were unable to have children, and yet God says, I'm going to promise you, from you is going to come this great nation. And you can read the story from Genesis 12 all the way through uh, about Genesis 21 and see how God uh, fulfilled his promise. It took about 25 years for that promise to come to pass. But he fulfilled his promise and supernaturally gave Abraham a son through Sarah. Now, he, that promise eventually became, got, found that nation was the nation of Israel. Israel uh, ended up being a, uh, grew, grew into a huge and mighty nation. And so the people here in Nehemiah are thinking, we want to be connected to Israel. We believe in the God of Israel. We want to be connected to Israel. We want to be connected to the God of Abraham. Now, this is interesting. They, they, they couldn't trace back their genealogy to Abram or Abraham. They couldn't trace back their genealogy that way, but they still wanted to be connected. Who does that sound like? Us. Non-Jews. Gentiles. How are we connected to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Because Jesus identified his God and Father as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How are we connected? Listen to this. In Galatians chapter, six, uh, Galatians chapter 3, here's what Paul writes. Paul says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as, as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. So he says the promise that God made to Abram was not to, to bring a, a, a blessing from just his ancestors, but a blessing from a specific ancestor, specifically Christ. He says later on in the same chapter, for you are all sons, and you can read sons and daughters, that'd be fine. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to to the promise. Remember the point that we're trying to make here. A group of people who want to be identified with God's covenant people but can't substantiate their connection. How do we do that? Because listen, you can't just say, oh, I decided I'm a Christian and then do what you want. Or I decided I'm this and then do what you want. No, Paul's clear. Listen, it's not your, and you can't say this either. You can't say, I grew up in a Christian home. Therefore, I'm a Christian. That doesn't work either. Paul's making the point clearly. Listen, it's not your relationship to God's people necessarily that makes you part of God's covenant people. It's your relationship to Christ. That's how you become a seed of Abraham. See, God uses those who are in covenant with him and we can't be in covenant. Covenant being a contract made in love. 
We can't be in covenant with God apart from Jesus, apart from what he does. Our identity is based on our relationship with Jesus. Jesus, I trust that what you did for me was enough to pay for my sins. I trust that what you did for me was enough to make me worthy to be or, 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 or to merit me to be um, uh, adopted into your family. I believe you've done what it takes to make me your own. You've done that. Not what I've done, but what you've done. That's my identity. Not what I do for your kingdom. Not what my family does for your kingdom. Not my social economic status. Not even my ethnicity. None of those things are my identity. What my identity is, is I'm a son or daughter of God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what has to happen if you're going to be used by God. You have to know God. You've got to be in His family. God wants to know you. It's not enough for us just to go, okay, I want to do good stuff like God's people do good stuff. I like the good stuff that Christians do. I want to do good stuff that Christians do. No, that's not enough. That's not how it works. This is not about adopting a new sort of moral code or, or, or a, a, a group of ethics that you say, okay, I'm going to live by these standards now. It's about being adopted into a new family. It's about coming into covenant with the maker of the universe. It's about knowing God through Jesus. Now, it's also important that we recognize something here. It's important that we recognize that our identity is something that's demonstrated by our willingness to repent. Paul said what? Remember in Acts? Paul said, here's the message. Some of my message. I've called all of you to you know, show repentance towards God, faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ, to turn to God, repentant faith. Listen to this. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Paul says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. Listen, he names two things. The Lord knows those that are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Those who are in covenant with God are not in covenant because they don't sin. If you think, okay, I have to stop sinning to be in covenant with God, you'll never get in covenant with God. I hope you know that. You you, you might as well quit now. Don't even try. Our covenant with God is not based on us getting it right. It's based on what Christ has done to make us right. But our response in faith to that is repentant faith. It's faith that constantly turns away from sin and back to God. This is why, listen, this is why the Bible is really clear. Anyone who names Jesus needs to turn away from sin. Now this isn't too, I want to be clear, this is not turn away from the sins the church seems to really dislike. No, it means turn away from all sin. It means being willing to turn away from all brokenness, from all idolatry. Why? Is this somehow keeping us in covenant? Earning us this place in covenant? No. It's simply an expression that we trust the covenant. We believe that what Jesus has done for us is enough not only to forgive our sins, but to free us from our sins. We don't have to stay this way. Listen, if you believe in Jesus, don't you realize believing in Jesus means you don't have to keep being a slave to your sin? You're not a slave to your sexual desires. You're not a slave to the things done to you in the past. 
You're not a slave to your laziness. You're not a slave to your lovelessness. You're not a slave to your prayerlessness. You might feel like you are, but if your faith is in Christ, you're a son or daughter of God. And you can walk in that covenant. This is what the Bible teaches. This is so important to understand. See, God uses those in covenant because what happens is, if we begin to think it's all about what I do or how I'm used, then our identity gets wrapped up in that and we're actually not trusting in Jesus. I think one of the un most unhealthy things that hap has happened to me in my Christian experience is to be moved into ministry so young in the faith. I got saved October 4th, 1987. Around February 1988, the pastors were saying, you should go to Bible college, you're called to minister. Now I was, God was doing something to do that, but the truth was, I went into ministry, I graduated Bible college in 1990, I think 1990 it was, and went into ministry. I did an internship for a year and then went into ministry and I've been in ministry ever since. And the reason that's been difficult is so often my walk with Jesus is wrapped up in what I do for the church. My identity becomes Pastor John. And it's not. It's John, a son of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's my identity. This is why, listen, this is why we're careful with you guys in getting you involved too soon. Not because we don't need the help. We are desperate for the help. <laughs> It's that we want to make sure that you understand, listen, this is about you walking with Jesus and we want your service to extend from that. God wants to use those who are available, absolutely, but he wants to use those who are in covenant, whose work for him displays the goodness of that covenant, the goodness of that God who made the covenant. Does that make sense? Now, interesting, in, this, in these verses, right, they weren't found... And so what was said in the latter part of verse 64, it says, therefore, these people who, they couldn't find the genealogies, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled, and the governor said to them that they should not eat, the, 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 uh, eat of the most holy things till a priest could consult with a Urim and Thummim. Now the Urim and Thummim uh, are talked about in different places in the Old Testament. We don't really know what they are. Literally, it's translated lights and perfections. They were some sort of lots or something that were used um, for a specific reason. We don't even know how they were used, but here's, here's what we, here's one scripture that talks about them. It kind of tells us why they were used, okay? Exodus 28.30 says this, also put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastplate, that's the priest's breastplate, so that they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. So, so I, I want to be clear about this because this is really important about how God uses us. God wants to use every one of us who are in covenant with him. But how he uses us is going to be confirmed by leadership. I think this is the principle that we see here. This is tricky because sometimes people will come to me and say, hey, I want to get involved. Great, we have this need, this need, and this need. You've been here for a while. That's great. Get plugged in. We have these needs. Oh, no, no, no. I only want to do this. Well, yeah, okay. Well, there might be a place for that in the future, but right now there's not a need for that. But there is a need for this. Oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. I only want to do this. And they're frustrated because they can't do the thing that they want to do. Because, listen, that's, that's, 
misunderstanding why God wants to use us in the first place. God uses those in covenant. Man, if you get nothing else today, please, do you know for sure, do you know for sure right now that you're in covenant with God? Do you believe the new covenant? Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he is and he did what he said he did? Finally, quickly, in verse 66. Continuing reading this genealogy, it says, Altogether the whole assembly was 42,360. As I said, the numbers don't add up. Uh, Besides, he mentions their uh, male and female servants, of whom were 7,337. And they had 245 men and women singers. And he goes on to list uh, uh, things about horses and stuff that we won't talk about. But it's interesting here because listening to all these people, he then says, okay, besides them, there are these male and female servants. And then he also says, and besides them, there's also these 254 singers. Part of the motivation for Ezra getting this genealogy, part of the thing that Nehemiah would have been encouraged by this genealogy was the fact that God wanted the people listed to actually participate. To actually come back to Jerusalem to see the temple rebuilt, to see the the community restored, to see the walls replaced, refurbished. He he wanted all these people to participate. Who do we have? How can we utilize these people? The thing that we need to understand, and this is kind of, I think, the the thing that I saw in in why we, we see these, one of the reasons we see these genealogies is that God wants to use us so we can be set apart as his people. It's very true, listen, it's very, very true that when we come to faith in Jesus that we are immediately set apart that we're justified, we have this position of being acceptable to God, that we can look forward to being glorified, a time when we are going to to be made just like Jesus so we can enjoy Jesus forever. But it's also true that in between these times, we're being sanctified. We're being set apart and changed into Christ's image. That's what we're doing. And God uses us to sanctify us. Sitting still, not participating, will not sanctify you. We, we need to be saying, okay, Lord, here I am. Even if we feel like, listen, just weary servants. And I say weary because if you were a servant that day, trust me, you were weary. <laughs> You're basically slaves. Now, we don't, know, we don't know for sure these slaves could have come willingly. They could have come with their masters willingly. Maybe they had the option of staying in Babylon. We don't know. Or they could have uh, been forced to go. Either way, I guarantee you they were weary. And you might feel that way. You might feel like, man, I'm tired. I'm just tired. Hey, I get that. I promise. I get that. Or you may be one of these female singers. They're kind of a minority. Only 254 mentioned out of 42,000. And you just like to, I just want to sing, celebrate. That's my job. That's not my job. (laughs) You might be just like, yeah, I just love to participate. I, I love it. Well, guess what? Good, you need to. The point is simple. God is calling us, whether we're weary servants or worshipful singers, to participate. To be a part, because that's how he sanctifies us. Quickly drop down to verse 70. Ezra had listed, there are some of the fathers' houses who gave to the work, the governors gave to the treasury, 
list how much. Verse 71 says some of the heads of the father's uh, houses gave to the treasury. Then list how much. And then verse 72 he says, and that which was the rest and 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 that which the rest of the people gave was 22,000 gold drachma, 2,000 silver minas, and 67 priestly garments. Now, what we see in this is that when when Ezra takes this original genealogy, he's also gathering resources. So basically, part of the genealogy was a call to leaders and lay people to be generous. Again, it's a theme we've seen throughout uh, Nehemiah. And I want to say, first I need to apologize. We are really behind on our um, correspondence with you guys as a congregation about what we've brought in, where it's gone. We're getting there. We're working really hard to get there so you can get an updated um, budget and stuff. But just to say, we're doing better than we've ever done. So I'm praising God for your generosity. This is not beating you with a stick saying you're bad. I'm saying this, we're praising God for your generosity. But I, I want you to know that this is something we don't need to pat ourselves on the back for. We need to say, thank you, Lord. We just want to obey your calling. You call us to this. And I love the fact that it's not just, it's not just the lay people and it's not just the leaders. It's both that are called to generosity. Now, verse 73, and I'm going to close with this. Verse 73 is not part of the document that Nehemiah found. Verse 73 is Nehemiah sort of summing up and getting ready for what's going to happen in chapter 8. We'll look at chapter 8 tomorrow, or next week. Here's what he says in verse 73. He says, So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and some of the people, the Nethanim, those are the servants of the temple, and all Israel dwelt in their cities. So the people are there. Now we're going to see next week that these people gathered into Jerusalem, or at least the portions of people gathered into Jerusalem, for a very specific purpose. God's setting this up. Nehemiah is kind of setting this up. He's, getting, he's showing us this is what's going to happen. He's kind of setting the context for what happens in chapters 8, 9, and 10. But I, I want you to, to notice this as well. What did he do to set them up? Nehemiah says, I found this document, this old de- document about past generations, and those past generations are there to prepare us for what God wants to do. You know, how many of you guys want to see God do a new thing? I want to see God do something fresh, something new. Amen? Do you realize that the new, no new thing is going to happen unless we understand the old thing? Do you realize that? We all stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. We ignore church history to our peril. It's, it's interesting, a lot of the heresies that come up in the last, that have come up in the last 150 years, they're all heresies that came up in the first century. It's just people that know church history, so they repeated the same heresies. It's, it's crazy. This is why we need to know what God says and do what God says. But listen, listen. We, we know what God has done, so we say, God, use that to prepare us for what you want to do. If we idolize the past, we, we make ourselves unavailable for the present. If we idolize the present, we fail to learn from the past what we need to learn to move forward. Nehemiah used this past generation to prepare God's people for what he was about to do, what God was about to do in Nehemiah's 8, 9, and 10. Now, interesting. This list of, of God's covenant people, this list of those who first went into Jerusalem, in a very real way, it's kind of similar to the list that we see, not, not the names, 
But, but the, the purpose, it's, it's similar in purpose to the list we see in Hebrews chapter 11. Remember Hebrews 11, the kind of the hall of uh, fame of faith, so to speak, and it names all these Old Testament saints who have, have by faith continued on in the things that God called them to. Some had great victory, some suffered great loss, but they all did it by faith. The author of Hebrews sums up Hebrews 11 this way. Listen, I'll close with this. He says, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them had received, that's those Old Testament saints, none of them had received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In other words, what the author of Hebrews says is these people all walked in faith and they have a great reward, but they didn't enter into that reward. Why? Because God had something new he was going to do. Ultimately, this is pointing to our resurrection when both Old Testament saints and New Testament saints will see God face to face. But there's this this principle that we need to understand. God wants to use us to sanctify us. And, And you need to understand, God wants to use you not just to sanctify you, but to sanctify those around you and even potentially be a sanctifying vessel for future generations. Have you ever thought about that? Never thought about that? That the whole reason God's calling you to be faithful and obedient and to partake, to be residents and not just visitors in God's, among God's people is because he wants to do something for a future generation. Are we willing to do this? Jesus has done what it takes to make us God's covenant people. Let's live like God's covenant people. Father, I thank you so much that, um, that all that we need is in you. Thank you so much, Father, for sending Jesus. We believe that we wouldn't know who you are unless you sent him. We, we believe, Lord, we have, would have no right to approach you except he died for us. Lord, we would have no hope for heaven except he was risen from the dead. Lord, we'd have no endurance except we believe he's coming again soon. And so, Lord, help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. And we say, Lord, here we are. Use us. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity right now, just in your seats, just to, to have some time with God. It's easy for us to kind of break, maybe have a cup of coffee, go out for lunch, and kind of forget maybe what God was speaking to us. So let's take a minute or two just to kind of do business with God, to pray these things in. If you need to turn back to God today, do it right now. Confess to him what you've done. Receive his forgiveness. Walk with him again. if you're not yet one of God's covenant people? Are your eyes being opened to who Jesus is? Are you beginning to see that you need what he did for you? Do you believe that when he died, he died for you? And when he resurrected, that proves that he is who he said he is. Can you trust him?
Will you trust him? If you've never re received Christ, do it today. You say, how do I do it? Just pray to God. Pray to the creator of the universe and say, God, I've sinned against you. I'm guilty before you, but I do believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. And I do believe that he rose from the dead and is alive today. And I want to walk with you in that love relationship, in that covenant. The words you use aren't as important as what, what you responding to what the Holy Spirit is showing you about who Jesus is. Cry out to him. He says, all who call upon my name I will in no ways cast out. Cry out to him. Father, we pray you'd help us today. Help us to serve one another. Use us, Lord, we say. We pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. All right.